Thanks for tuning back into another episode of the Mostly Legal Podcast. If this is your first time checking out our show, you're in for a treat. Each episode, we'll get our hands dirty with some people who work behind the scenes of law firms and uncover their stories and untold secrets. My name is Rob Joyner. I'm the VP of Sales and Marketing at Centerbase. And I'm Amanda Copeless. I'm the Executive Director for the Central Florida-based law firm of Sheffield, Lohman, and Wilson. Throughout my career in legal management, I have formed some beautiful friendships. Our guest today, Mark Bridgman, is one of those people. He's going to tell us an amazing love story of two people who found each other despite all odds. We are dedicating this episode to the memory of Stephen Wingert, a legal management visionary, husband, and friend who was taken too soon and left a legacy in his wake. He will always be our Superman Steve. Hi, Mark. Welcome to our show. Thanks, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Mark, we're so excited that you're here today, and I've been talking about you so much to Rob, and when we decided to do this podcast, you were one of my first guests, and I think a lot of why I wanted to bring you on today was just because you have so many amazing stories to tell. Uh, I wanted to give our listeners a little background on you and just kind of hit the highlights. I feel like reading your entire bio would probably take our entire podcast hour-ish of time. So just for everybody listening, Mark has had so many different careers, but all have kind of centered around the role of legal management. He was in the Navy for 22 years. He was a full firm administrator for a firm in Madison, Wisconsin, another firm in Chicago, and he was the chief legal records manager for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago. Mark has served in leadership for three ALA chapters. He's about to join his fourth. And his volunteerism at the national and international level could fill up a whole sheet of paper. So I'll, I'm going to let him talk about that just a little bit more. But Mark, will you fill in some of the details and the gaps of what I've missed so far? Sure. Um while I was in the Navy, I was also um, the chief legal officer for three Navy ships. After 22 years, I decided to leave because as a parent who had a, a daughter at the time with a mom who was needing me home, I decided that it was time to leave. And so I decided to go into legal management uh, because that's just where my career had taken me in the Navy. So I was probably one of the first members in the association who was actually in the military. When I transitioned to, to civilian life, I immediately went to work for a firm in Madison, Wisconsin, where I was the full firm administrator, which I did everything, including cleaning toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Um, all of those kinds of things that a full firm administrator does for a small firm. Then an opportunity uh, came up for a COO position in Chicago, Illinois, with a mid-sized firm. I applied for it and got it, and I was there for about four years, almost five. And the reason I left there was because after serving 22 years in the Navy, I saw an opportunity at the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago, to kind of wrap my whole career into one nice bundle. Uh, there was a position available. I applied for it. Finally, about eight months later, I got the job. And that's where I served for nine years, was the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago. Once I hit the 30-year mark of government service, I decided that it was time to leave. There's a whole other part of the story um, that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. We moved to Orlando, Florida, where our new beginning was to start. Uh, I was retired. Uh, I had just gotten my master's in child psychology because I wanted to help children. And uh, then COVID hit. And so I kind of had to take a step back. And around the June time frame, I ended up having two job offers to go back into legal administration. One of them was a full firm administrator for a small firm in DeLand. And I also had this offer uh, from Sheffield Lohman and it was a no-brainer. I took the job close to home. And so that's kind of where we are today. Yeah, and I always say that even though you're not technically doing child psychology now by being an HR at a law firm, that degree is really getting put to good use. 
<laughs> I mean, really, Mark, really, Mark, did they just bring you in to, to help manage Amanda? <laughs> that might have been part of my process in the interview with Bill Loman and some of the other board members, yes. His entire job description right underneath other duties as assigned, it said, keep Amanda on track and from putting her foot in her mouth on a regular basis. It so, just says Amanda dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for sharing your professional story and the transition in your career. One of the things we wanted to really talk about, and you kind of alluded it to it a little bit, was your personal journey. And... I think that I would kick this off by telling everybody who I met and how I met the, the love of your life, if it's okay to call him that, because I know he was the love of your life. Absolutely. And that was, yeah, and that was Stephen Wingard. And he was a full firm administrator and has had a, uh, I guess his career was as varied as yours was, Mark. And I met him for the first time at an ALA regional conference and he was sitting on a panel and I had my cell phone out and I snapped a picture of him and I sent it to one of my friends and the subject literally said yummy.jpg because he was the <laughs> <laughs> and I still have it. I mean, that was it. I thought he was the most handsome man I had ever seen in, especially in legal management. And my friend Chris wrote back and said, that's adorable, but he's not for you. And I thought, well, that's insulting. Why isn't he for me? And he responded back and said, wait till you meet his husband. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, I'm sure, you know, his husband's great. And Mark, you and I kind of only met peripherally uh, through over the years. Stephen was a mentor to me. We he spoke at a chapter. We did some conference findings together. I would call him and ask him questions. And, you know, I had said hi to you back and forth, but we hadn't really become friends or have the connection that Stephen and I had. And it wasn't until you moved to Orlando that I really heard the full story. So I'd like to start by having you tell me, how did you two meet? Yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a very handsome man and um, a revered leader. And in 2001, um, at the San Diego Annual Conference, I saw Stephen, and he was with one of his close friends from the Wisconsin ALA chapter. And I was from the Orange County chapter in California. At the time, in the early days of conferences, they had you, you know, there were costume contests, and I dressed up as a beach boy, and Put very little on. Wait, who are the Beach Boys? No, I dressed up as yeah, right. Who are the Beach Boys? Well, I was, and I dressed up as a Beach Boy, put on uh, swim trunks, I hung a chair over my back, and a big beach ball hanging from me with a the beach hat. And I walked into the conference, and um, I finally got Steve's eye. And um, also, I got the eye of my chapter. Uh, and they said he's going to be president someday. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you weren't. Now wait, you were topless. Let me see if I can get this picture. Yes, I was you. topless. I didn't have a okay. shirt on, so it was. Okay. <laughs> again, remember the theme was beach, so right, right. West San Diego. <laughs> so Steve and I kind of cordially met in 2001. So we've just really it just hit 20 years since I actually met him, and um, it kind of progressed from there. So we would see each other at the regional conferences and then again at the ALA conferences. And once I got into chapter leadership, I went to those conferences and I wanted to go because I knew Steve was a leader and I wanted to get to know him better. <laughs> so from 2001 through 2003, I would continue to go to these meetings and regional conferences and annual conferences, not just to get to know Steve better, but certainly to make myself more productive as a civilian legal professional. To learn things new was challenging, so I had to take advantage of the educational opportunities to do it. So in 2003, at the Denver CLI, I finally got up the gumption to make sure I got to know Steve just a little bit better. <laughs> so, uh, Amanda's gonna pry here. 
<laughs> no, I'm I just waiting for story. I know, I know this story. And so I'm just going to make sure he tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and Rob, if he does it, uh, I will for sure call him to the carpet on it. So don't you worry. So I was at the CLI, was with, their, with my chapter, my Orange County, California chapter. I kept seeing Steve, but he was with this gal pal that he always hung out with. And um, I went to... I had to get out of there and went to the Starbucks line. We were in a break. Well, who do you think was right in front of me in the Starbucks line? It was Steven Wingert. And I tapped him on the shoulder and said, can I buy your coffee? And he said, yes, I'd like that. And I said, I'm Mark Bridgman. He said, yes, I know who you are. And I said, oh, okay. And so we bought our coffee. <laughs> From, I got him from the register and I looked at him and I says, do you want to have these in my room? <laughs> and his answer was abruptly, yes. So now remember, we were just on a break. So we went up to my room, went up to my room at the hotel there in Denver. And the interesting part of this whole thing is that the adjoining room was none other than Steve Winger's. Wow. Oh my gosh. So we enjoyed our coffee and uh, <laughs> had a really nice time. And um, I get this call on my telephone from some of my chapter members asking me where I am. And um, I'm also getting calls from home. So I we quickly get ready to go back downstairs. And one of those calls from home was there had just been an earthquake in California, in Orange County, California. So I go down back into, and of course my seat is way in front. And um, I walk in one door, Steve walks in the other door, and um, I heard this regional director, Jeannie Cabell, say, nice for you and Steve to join us, Mark. <laughs> and I said, hey, out. I said, hey, did you hear there was an earthquake in California? And everybody roared laughing and said, yeah, I'll bet there was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is how so I officially met and it never ended uh, with Steve Wingert. So you were living in different cities at the time. And Correct. He was in Wisconsin. I was in California, in Orange County, and California. I feel, like, I feel like that's kind of a theme for your whole relationship is that you did so much of it when you lived in different cities back and forth. So how long was it after you met before you kind of became an item or a couple and then started living together? So we dated long distance for a while. We were very careful because each of us had kids and we wanted to make sure we did the right thing. So we did the right thing by slowly introducing me to his kids and him to mine. So um, we would travel back and forth. I would go to Wisconsin. He would come to California. So when the mortgage uh, crisis hit and the economy was going to crap, I told Steve, that I would look for a job in Wisconsin if I was able to sell my house in 60 days. I sold my home in 30 days, so I had to keep my promise. I left my job and uh, moved to Wisconsin. So that's an amazing story as a, as a beginning. And you guys were together for many years. And can you tell us, I know there's so much to fill in, but how about uh, your wedding? Can you go in and tell us a little bit about that and how that went down? Sure. So when I sold the house in 2007 and started my journey to Wisconsin, I literally packed up my Datsun B210 with everything I could uh, take to meet Steve at the Las Vegas conference. Then from there, we drove all the way across country to Wisconsin. And right away we had planned our wedding. Steve was a planner. And um, <laughs> we had in 2005 in Montreal, at the conference in Montreal, Steve and I really hit it off there and knew that this was forever. 
And so we decided that where we needed to get married was Montreal, Canada. So, and because our marriage wasn't legal in the United States, but it would be legal in Canada. And that was really important to us. And so we planned this beautiful wedding in Canada and on April 7th, 2007. And uh, we had our family and friends and um, it was a very, very nice ceremony. It snowed on our, our wedding day. It was quite beautiful. Wow. Clearly it was a union of love and everybody who was there knew that. Right. And so then after you get married, you guys are still very involved in ALA. And Steve eventually becomes president of ALA. You were chapter president of three chapters. So you served on the 2014 annual conference chair for the Toronto conference. And then at one point, you also received the Outstanding Volunteer Award, which in the Association of Legal Administrators is a pretty big deal. It's not something they give out to just anyone. So that was kind of a culmination of your highest achievement, I guess, of something that very few other people have also achieved. And, you know, we'll skip a little bit. So tell us how you decided to move to Orlando. So Steve took a little break from legal management after he'd been with a firm for 15 years in Chicago. He wanted to check an item off his bucket list to work on his own as a consultant. And so for a while, we were right back at doing the long distance uh, relationship uh, marriage again. And uh, one of us was either going to, uh, I was going to meet him in St. Louis or we were going to, he was coming here to, um, or coming to Wisconsin to see the family. So we were pretty well versed in how it all had to work. But Steve got pretty tired of it and decided that he needed to uh, start looking for um, a job uh, of substance closer to home. But before we, he did that, we had a conversation about retirement. And we both talked about where we wanted to be for retirement, and that was Florida, both of us. So in 2017, Steve, uh, Steve started his search uh, for a um, executive director position in Orlando, Florida. We thought that would be a great starting point. And I was about to hit 30 years with the government. So as I spoke about earlier, so it would have all wrapped up really nicely. So in 2017, uh, Steve got a job at the Lowndes Law Firm in Orlando, Florida. So the wheels got in motion for Steve to take on this role. And then I started putting my papers in with the U.S. Attorney's Office to retire. So you got to Florida and during the move, you started noticing some, was it during the move or a little after that, that Steve started not feeling well? Yeah. So while we were packing up our house, um, which was much later because we wanted to make sure we had a house to go to. So as we started to pack up the house, um, I just noticed something was different about him and um, he was edgy. He, Steve was never one to be sick or not feel well, and he was sick. And I thought to myself, you know, Steve, I, I need to tell him to go to the doctor. So I did. And he said, yeah, 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 I have appointments to, um, with them. It's just my back and my stomach. I think it's just all stress related to the move and all of that. I kind of agreed at the time, but part of me knew something was wrong, was not right. So we finished the move, got to Orlando with the furniture. Literally, it arrived the day I had to go back to Chicago to work. We, it came early. We were really, really surprised. That just never happens. So here, <laughs> Steve's left with a brand new house and a huge truck full of furniture, not feeling well. And um, they unload it. And I tell him not to worry about any of it until I get back that weekend. Well, that's just how Steve operated. So, <laughs> no, he was not one to just sit back and not right. do anything. Right. So during that time frame, so um, it was about a 10-day time frame because, that I left and it came back. And in that 10-day time frame, Steve said he'd meet me at the airport. I got off the plane and I couldn't find him. I, I looked all over where he would normally meet me and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, don't you know your husband anymore? And I looked at him. 
in, in 10 days, Steve had lost 19 pounds and he, he looked very gaunt and not well. And I said, I hugged him quietly and said, you're going to the doctor tomorrow. And he said, yes, I already have the appointments. So this was, we closed on our house on July 12th. I came back and this was July 30th, 30, yeah, the 30th. So the 31st was the appointment. So I just happened to be able to be there. They ran some tests on Steve and after being told he just had a strained back and gastric upset, they decided to do some different testing. So it took a couple of days for that to happen. By the time we knew some of the tests we were getting, we knew what they were looking for. And on August 3rd of 2018, we got the diagnosis that Steve had stage four pancreatic cancer. And um, our world and life crashed before us. Our new beginning tumbled down. But that didn't stop us from believing that we could still beat this. And if anybody and could, it would be Stephen Weaver. Absolutely. If anybody could, it would have been Superman Steve. Yes, absolutely. And Steve decided he wanted to go into a study. So he wanted to do a clinical trial because he felt like if nothing else, it could probably help him, but it would certainly help science and the future. So that's what he did initially is he chose a clinical trial and we were going back and forth to Baltimore for his treatment and to be part of this clinical trial. And it was a, not to, to say the least, a tough time, but you were both still working. I mean, we talked a little bit about Steve, you know, plowing through, but he kept working for as long as he possibly could at his firm. Um, right, he'd been he there. Would, he wouldn't walk away. He wouldn't walk away. Yeah, he was working. He was working every day. I was lining up people to come be at the house as often as I could get someone there just in case, get him to work if he needed to. But Steve was driving himself to work for a while. And um, I was coming home every weekend. But Steve just never gave up. Our kids wouldn't either. And we were all in this together. And our oldest daughter, Shannon, she started this, this whole amazing uh, thing that started. She gave us, the family wore Superman bands because that's who Steve was. And that took off internationally, like nobody's business. It just took off. And the next thing you know, all of the ALA chapters from around the world, people Steve had met everywhere were uh, posting on social media. They're wearing bands of Superman. Uh, if anybody has this, it's the WB because we were, our family was the WB, Wingert Bridgman, and we were named the WB at our wedding. So um, it was just amazing how that simple wristband with a Superman emblem on it took off internationally. I mean, I still see people wearing it and the outpouring of love. I mean, he led an association of 8,000 members, but touched so many other people. And Rob, I remember just seeing host of entire chapters holding their wristbands, because if there was ever a group of people who could send love into the universe for an individual, it was what people did for Steve. I, I've become a captive listener. I mean, this story <laughs> is just amazing. I'm just sitting here and I'm like, I'm just listening. Um, you know, previously we talked about, you know, the legal community is big. It's, it's a legal is so big yet the community is so small. Mm -hmm. And when you not even, you know, within that legal community, the ALA community is so supportive. It's so amazing. And it's such a tight group. And, and Mark, your story just speaks to that. Absolutely. That organization, it's a family. It, it truly is. Once you, it's a, I call it my drug and so did Steve because, you know, you just, you can't get enough of it. And really the Association of Legal Administrators kind of made me better professionally because I was, like I said, a government legal professional and I knew nothing. And the way I found a way to learn was to study for the CLN exam. 
and fail it twice, but I pass it on the third <laughs> time. I pass it on the third time and it made me better at, you know, and, you know, gave me some recognition. But so the association isn't only about resources, education and people. It's about relationships mm-hmm. and yes. those relationships are live lifelong and beyond. And it's important to note that Steve never lost his sense of humor. He was still cutting jokes. He was in the hospital uh, coaching the president-elect of the Association of Legal Administrator on how to be, you know, not be fearful of going into her new role. It was just amazing to watch this guy who was fearless and um, funny because, you know, life is is supposed to be lived and that's exactly how he meant to and did do it. I'd love to tell my story about the last time I saw Steve to illustrate Mark's point. So I moved to Orlando in November of 2018. And as Mark mentioned, Steve had gotten diagnosed in July of that year. And I was so excited to find out that my uh, mentor worked at our competitor law firm doing the same job. And I thought, okay, this is my first time in full as a full firm administrator of a mid-sized firm. And I have somebody almost in walking distance that has done this job and will be able to lead me through it. And so I sent him a message when I got here and I said, I would, I just, we just have to have drinks. We have to get together. And we had some for obvious reasons, scheduling conflicts back and forth. But in December, we finally hooked up. And I went to the bar and uh, of course, because where else would two members of the association <laughs> but at the bar and I walked in and, and Mark's comment about how Steve looks different resonates with me because I, at the same time, I had not seen him in a while, but I didn't recognize it either. And I could tell he was not in great health, but he was still in great spirits. And it's, it's, amazing the kind of person who then sat there next to me going through what he's going through facing his mortality and spent two hours coaching me on how to do this job and it it like you just do not expect that somebody would be such a selfless leader and we you know we talked about his illness but he didn't want to talk about his illness I do remember him saying, oh, I'm not supposed to be drinking. Mark will kill me if he knows I'm drinking. And then he looked at Mark <laughs> and he looked at me and we said, another round, please. Because <laughs> I left that meeting and we made plans to see each other after the first of the year. Right after New Year's, Mark was going to be in town and my family was just getting settled and we were going to have dinner, the four of us. And, you know, you part ways with somebody who's sick there's a part of you who knows it's possible you might not see that person again but we parted with all hope and all faith that this relationship and our mentorship was going to continue and um you know i hugged him and i just thanked him and it it's amazing how i didn't even realize the sacrifice he made for me until much later until i guess march of that coming year and Oh, sorry. Uh, Mark, do you want to pick up from there? He kind of set the stage for the family to, you know, face his mortality with him and uh, do our best to accept what was happening. And in February, when we were in Baltimore, we learned that there was nothing else that could be done. And so um, that was kind of a blow to Steve and me. And we refused to think that. So we immediately got on, I immediately got on the phone to research other cancer centers, including Moffitt here locally in Florida and one in Chicago, even if we had to go back to Chicago. And I got Steve enrolled in these programs um, and also got his oncologist here in Orlando to start radiation, which had never been done and got Steve to agree to do actual chemotherapy, the full on heavy doses that were needed to be done. And um, so we didn't give up. 
And uh, it wasn't what he wanted, and it wasn't what I wanted. And we wanted our kids to know that this is how what you do in life. You don't give up. So on February 28th, when we were taking him in for his final radiation, uh, chemo was scheduled for March 1st, his first chemo. He had to finish the, the radiation first. He got to ring the bell and finished his radiation. We hoped that that tumor would be shrunk. We found out in two days that it hadn't been shrunk. So chemo got delayed until we got that. So chemo was supposed to start on the third. So on March 3rd, when I woke up, I saw Steve's eyes and I knew that something was terribly wrong because they were they were all yellow. So I, I just said, we need to go, go to the doctor. Let's get you to the doctor so we can get find out what chemo starts. And when we got him there, that's just when the never-ending hospitalizations started. And uh, they couldn't do chemo because his system was backing up. And um, he had jaundice really bad. So they had to do a few surgeries on him. And um, he never really came out of the hospital for a couple of weeks. But again... Here he was on the telephone while he was feeling okay, coaching people and uh, talking to people in ALA who were getting prepared to take on serious roles for the association nationally. And uh, then just one day he went to sleep and um, I thought this was probably it because it took three days for him to wake up. So three days went by and, and he woke up. And I was in the room. I hadn't left it. And um, he said, I'm hungry. And I said, okay. So I got him some food. I immediately did what I had to do to get the lawyer there so we could get our estate plan signed. Some friends had showed up that were on a normal visit that they do every year. They had showed up. And Steve wanted to walk. He wanted to walk around the hospital ward. And so we thought, oh, good. So something good is happening here. So we got him up, walked him around, and he came back. He laughed with us. Um, the friends who came in from Chicago, they came in the next day. I want to say it was March 10th, and they wanted to have hospice talk to me so that he could go home to hospice. Steve had three wishes if this it was ever to happen. His he was to die, and that was that he never die at home, that if he were to die at home, there'd be no vigil by the family or friends, and uh, the third is that if he ended up having to die at home, to never die in our bed. Wow. I'll get to that later. But, <laughs> um, so on the 10th, here he was picking his hospice team and who he wanted to help take care of him for the rest of, you know, whenever. And we were just hopeful it would be for a while. So on the 11th, we went home. I took him home and I called the family and I said, his mother, I called his mother, his brother, his sister, um, our kids. And I said, um, here's what is happening. And if you need to come out or want to come out, let's get this arranged. And um, he came home on the 11th. We always had our Jack and ginger ale every evening outside on the front porch. <laughs> that was what we yes. did, our Jack and ginger ale on the front porch. And so I was making a Jack and ginger, and he said, hey, would you make me one of those? <laughs> so I said, I'm happy to make you one of these. Now, mind you, this guy's on oxygen, and we have a, he's using a walker, which he refused. But I, I, we insisted that he use the walker. And we went out to the front porch, and his family was there. And they were going to follow us out. And he looked back at the family himself and said, no, this is time I need with my husband alone. So we sat out on the front porch and we were out there. I told Amanda about the story. We were out there probably for five hours laughing, talking about what happened. And literally, Steve was putting together a spreadsheet, Mr. Spreadsheet <laughs> Steve, of everything he wanted to be done to the letter for his memorial, what he wanted me to do 
you know, and uh, there were a number of things on that spreadsheet that Steve is known for spreadsheets. We have a note here about um, Steve's spreadsheet. Yeah. We had to ask about Steve's spreadsheet. And so occasionally he would walk, he would get up from his walker, knock on the door and say, we need a refill <laughs> on our Jack and Gingers. So his brother, Kevin, would make the Jack and Gingers and, um, and brought them out to us. So we literally just talked about everything. And, you know, it was about a moment of having no regrets and saying what needed to be said and all of that stuff that a lot of people forget to do in the normal day-to-day -day life that they live together with their loved ones. And it was a lesson for me. It was a huge lesson for me because sometimes you just never know how the wind's going to blow. And I learned from Stephen Wingert that you never waste a minute of your life and you never waste time not saying I love you to the people that you love the most. Yeah. We finished the spreadsheet. Um, friends came over, neighbors came over. Steve was up and talking to everybody. And um, Friday morning, Steve wanted to be in his chair and got him this great chair that reclines. It's quite comfortable. Still have it. And um, he went to sleep on Thursday night and really never regained consciousness. So you remember those three things I told you Steve didn't want? Right. You remember them? Don't die at home. Don't die with a visual and don't die in your bed. Correct. So we knew he was going to die at home because we couldn't get hospice there. And we, for the life of us, could not understand why we couldn't get hospice there. And they said that it was a weekend and, um, I said, I don't care. Um, people die on weekends. So when we finally got someone there on Monday morning, one, the vigil had already started. No, I couldn't get anybody to, you know, stop sitting around in the living room, stop watching TV. Finally, on Sunday night, I said, the TV is off, put on country and Western music. That is Steve's favorite <laughs> stuff. He can still hear us. So we need to make sure the TV is off and we're, we're talking to him and um he can listen to this you know the music he loves so we did that and um on monday morning the nurse came in and um the nurse said we need to move steve to the bed and i literally lost it i pitched a fit and said that's not what he wants he wanted to be in a hospital he didn't want to be home and if he had to be here, that was not where he wanted to be. So finally, um, they had to bring me around to reality and knew that it was the best thing for him for breathing. So we prepared the bed and we got him into the bed. And I was at the, at the dining room table and the nurse came to get me. And it was about 1.40 in the afternoon on Monday, March. 18th and um she said it's time and so i went in there the closest family were in the bedroom and um i was talking to him and i said everybody please talk to him and i told him it was okay to go you know that we were going to be okay as a family and that we were going to continue to live life laugh love just like those were his th three favorite things live laugh love and that it was okay, we were gonna take care of each other. And so everyone took my cue. So at 1.47, um, tear came out of his eye and the nurse said she'd never seen anything like it. Cause we had all been telling him, it, you know, all these great stories and all the things we're gonna do. The dogs howled at the in, in synchrony of Steve passing away at 1.47 PM. on that day. But Steve may have passed away, but Steve's spirit, what he stood for, the servant leader he is and was, lives to this day. Steve was so close to finishing his doctorate in um, education. Um, it was 
an educational doctorate, but it was on um, leadership. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that have happened posthumously. He received his doctorate and you were there to accept it. The college Creighton invited you to accept it on his behalf. I had to work with Creighton University because Steve was so close and I had to I had to really go in to find his cohorts. And I was actually at the ALA conference in Dallas, Texas. In Grapevine. Robin, in I talked Grapevine, about Texas. I was there. Yeah. yeah, well, it's the one we met at. We talked about right. this just before, yeah. So by the time I got home from Grapevine, Texas, about two days into the week of being back, you know, into the normal routine of things, I get a letter from Creighton University that Steve's doctorate, Steve, congratulations, Stephen Wingard has been going to be awarded the doctorate of uh, education interdis interdisciplinary leadership. And could I come on his behalf to walk for him? And that was in May. And that's exactly what I did. I went to Creighton University, walked for him, and accepted his doctorate. So that conference was a rough one. And I remember seeing you there uh, coming in April after having lost Steve. And it was it was amazing. I talked a little bit before about the outpouring of love. And like we had different, you know, the different groups, the CLN, you said that earlier, the certified legal managers had these shirts we wore and everybody had the bracelets and you were embraced is I think the only way I can say it by an organization that he had left and that you had loved, that you had both loved together. And it's just such a powerful in memory of him. And, you know, I, I can't say enough good things. You've told us such an amazing story. Um, <laughs> are you, I've been are sitting you here like... Loss, are you at a loss for words? Because that has literally never happened. Well, Mark, I just want to thank you for telling that story. I know it's, it's an ALA love story, Rob. It's, it's it, one that it, even ALA knows to this day is an ALA love story. And it's it a happy one. Um, it's... Uh, and it's one that lives, it, it just will never, even though Steve is gone, it will just never be gone. You know, I was never fortunate enough to meet Steve, um, but man, you had me here at a loss for, I'm at a loss for words right now. Um, so, you know, I just, I want to thank you for telling that story and I'm sure um, it's going to touch a lot of people when, when they listen to this episode. So. While sad, you know, when we lost a great, great leader and person, father, friend, you know, the things he stood for are still things that the association leans toward this day. Absolutely. It, it, yeah, it absolutely is true. And I have just recently joined the board of directors of ALA and, you know, Steve served on that and was president and they will still talk about him. And some of the things he implemented, such as at a board meeting, you all have to raise your hands and stop talking over each other. And it seems like such a simple concept, but if you- Amanda, that's really hard for you. <laughs> I know. Let's I know. be real. Exactly, but Steve <laughs> put that in place. He did, he put that in place, raise your hand. And so I have to raise my hand to speak. And I think that's a really good thing because it keeps me grounded. And you know, I would like to say one more thing about something beautiful that has come out of this. And that is the friendship that Mark and I were able to develop. Because as I said, we had known each other and we met at conference, you know, offhanded, but at Steve's Celebration for Life, it was at this little wine bar called Digress, and it is a hundred yards from Mark's house and probably two miles from the office. And it was a really interesting thing because Mark and I really had never had a conversation, but I wanted to go. I felt the need to go. And it was beautiful. People shared some beautiful stories. And I told the story about how the yummy.jpg story and, and it was it was very um, touching and after that market walked up to me and said hey we need to get wine sometime and I said we absolutely do so it was a couple of weeks later we met for wine in June for the first time on a, on a Tuesday night and 
there was more tears than laughter. And then we decided to meet a couple weeks later and there was more tears than laughter. And I think that went on for every week. Tuesday was our thing. And we met three weeks out of four or four weeks out of four for a long time. And slowly but surely the mixture of tears to laughter switched. And now when we go, you know, almost two years later, it is a lot more laughter than tears. And I needed an HR position filled uh, very, very quickly. And Mark jumped in. I dragged him kicking and screaming out of retirement to come and do HR. But we talk all the time about that, just a beautiful relationship that was built to just two great friendships that would not have been singular friendships had Steve still been alive. We probably would have been the all three of us together or with my husband, Nick, the four of us. And I can tell you, Mark, um, you know, Amanda, once you decided to come on, Amanda was so excited to have you on the team. And she just felt, she felt like she had, she had plucked and plucked a star player from another team and, and brought her on board. You know, one thing, uh, our podcast is about telling amazing stories like the the story we told uh, you and you and Steve's story. But also, I hope, you know, our listeners can gain something from somebody as experienced as you. So the first question I want to ask, what, what advice would you give someone who wants to continue to advance their career in legal management? What a great question. And, you know, to this day, I still get folks who reach out to me um, to ask that. The advice I'd give them is the education that the Association of Legal Administrators has put together over the Mm -hmm. years and still continues to this day to do, take advantage of it. Because it has not only gotten better, it has gotten more diverse. So, you know, there's no reason why you can't um, make yourself better at your job by, you know, one click is Mm -hmm. what I called it when I was on the board of directors. We need to put work together. We need to put education together that is one click so that people can do this online from their their offices or homes because a lot of times it's really difficult for people to get away to go to these educational programs that the chapters put on or the association puts on. It's either money, one, or two logistics. And so the association has gotten really good at doing those at kinds of uh, online educational programs and become very advanced. I would also encourage anyone, doesn't matter who you are in legal management, study for the CLM exam. You know, the certified legal manager exam. I mean, what that did for me to become a legal manager, although I failed twice and Passed on the third time, thank goodness. By the I way, I passed. Video. I just want to throw out there, I passed on the first try. Just of course you did, Amanda. Sorry, nevertheless, I would tell them to study for the CLM exam. It's not about passing or failing. It's about what you get out of it. Right. And it's, it's about how you apply it to your day-to-day job. And, and how, you know, it gives you um, tools to... Just be better at what you do and be a better leader overall, because really what it's all about is ALA giving back. And that's what the leaders do for this organization is they give back. You know, Steve was all about relationships. um, And you know that because that's literally, literally and figuratively how Amanda and I met was through Steve Wingert. And um, that is really the mantra of the association because building relationships with our business partners and um, our members is the way we continue to develop and and bring these programs forward. Because we just, the board of directors just doesn't sit at a table and decide this is what we're gonna do. They also sit at bars. They can, right, yeah, they stay in the bars. Right, I know that. I, was there I get those text messages. <laughs> I was there too. I know exactly. One thing you didn't say, Mark, and I would love your opinion on this. You know, uh, Amanda mentioned how big of a mentor Steve was to her. Uh, what are your thoughts on mentorship and going out there and seeking a mentor to help help push your career as well? Yeah, 
I, I can 100% uh, agree with mentorships and I hope it's something that the association will take on and look at and to see how they can, because, you know, our membership has become very diverse now. It's too much younger. Right. And the baby boomers are kind of retiring. It's time for them to step aside. I, I've done it three times and I'm still here. But, um, <laughs> sorry. sorry, not sorry. I believe in it wholeheartedly. I had my own mentor, you know, uh, coming through the ranks of the association. So the second question, uh, Mark, I have for you. Talk about transitioning from a full firm manager role in your involvement in government into an HR role. And to add to that, you know, you're at a mid-sized firm right now. Um, how does having a designated HR person overlap with the other administrative positions? How do you guys split up those, those different duties um, within the firm? Well, in a small firm like I was, you you were everything. You wore all those hats. Like the one I wore was in Madison, I did all of it. You know, even it, it, with the U.S. government, when I I had 94 reports when I was with the U.S. government, and so I wow. did it all. I did HR. I did, you know, um, my title was just different because at the time the president said, you know, we need to make sure records management is in this title, and that's what he wanted. Um, so, what that transition was like for me. Um, because I had an opportunity to take on another job having my own firm, but I would have been, mm -hmm. again, doing toilets. And that's <laughs> what I wanted to do. The next time our toilets need to be cleaned or fixed here, I'm 1,000% calling Mark. Don't even try. <laughs> how many times a day, like the question that kept coming into my head, and I just ignored it, but like how many times a day did you have to do that? Well, it depends. I mean... Literally, it could consume your day, depending on how bad it was. Um, but toilets backing up. I mean, I mean, you literally had to uh, remind people, you know, how to flush a toilet, oh. you know, and how not to stuff it. I mean, you know, so, yeah, you had to play mom and dad and and uh, to some of these people. And, you know, that rolls right into what I'm doing right now. Just thank God I have a child psychology degree. Uh, <laughs> because the, the things that I hear every day that come into my office, you know, and people can't figure out for themselves, you know, that's okay. They can't figure it out. I'm here to help them figure it out. So I can tell you that Amanda was right in the very beginning, you know, having the master's in psychology really does help you do this job because it really is very different in some respect when she's doing those kinds of things she's making the big business decisions that have to be made for a firm i kind of coincide with that because i help with policy and you know mm -hmm. making recommendations on policy making recommendations on who we should hire and how we should look at you know, how we pay them and the benefits we we um, we provide, you know, to help retain our people. So Amanda and I work hand in glove because they coincide just like that. Absolutely. But Amanda has somebody who, when there's an HR issue, she knows I've got it. She doesn't have to deal with it because believe me, Amanda has her own HR issues. <laughs> Amanda <laughs> creates her own right. HR right. issues. Let me just... Um, <laughs> Let's be honest on that. But it's funny, Mark, you say that because people will also come to me and say, so-and-so didn't show up for work today. You need to fix that. And I will say, okay, thank you. And then I will walk right to Mark's office and say, hey, Mark, so-and-so didn't show, show up for work today. You need to fix that. And then I'll turn around and leave. But he will come and dump things on my desk and it's vice versa. And um, I don't like to, like, Rob, you asked about kind of the hierarchy and how the roles and they fit together and right. I if you were to draw an org chart my name would be on top but I do not think about it like that and I refuse to let anybody else think of that we are two different roles both leading the same firm in the same direction with duties maybe slightly delegated between the two of them I guess the best way for me to describe it for you Rob is that I deal with a day-to-day -day staff stuff that happens and it's it can range from big to little okay but amanda never even knows it's happening right because that's my job that's amazing 
Mark will say, God, it's been a terrible week. And I'll say, what did you deal with? I, I haven't heard anything about your terrible week. He'll say, I want oh, a Mark. <laughs> you need a Mark. I want a Mark. <laughs> but yeah, he'll say, oh, it's been a week. And I think, what do you, what do you mean it's been a week? I, I've had a great week. I don't know what you're talking about. And we're, you know, 40 feet away from each other. And he said, the only reason you haven't had a bad week is because I've had a bad week. <laughs> so... It, you know, Mark, you, you've mentioned a few times that you've retired a couple times at this point, uh-huh. but it sounds like you still have a lot left to give. And so my, my final question to you would be, what do you still hope to accomplish in your career? Yeah, a lot. Um, so I didn't have the best childhood. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I always was always going to be on my list to do, I was to help children. So that's why I got my master's in child psychology, because that was always my goal. That was my goal when I started my new beginning here in Orlando was to then take off and uh, start guiding kids. And I still do that voluntarily, uh, slowly right now because of COVID, but um, that's still what I hope to do with my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear you're hearing this first, Amanda. I'm not here for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm just going to pretend that I didn't hear you tell me that working with me is not your dream job. That 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 hits a little bit. So, Mark, you just you seem like an amazing guy, and I, I look forward to oh. uh, to getting to 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 meet you in person one day. Uh, in whether that's when I visit Orlando or at one of the ALA at one of the yeah. ALA conferences. October. Go ahead, Amanda. I was going to say, you'll meet him in October. He can come to the booth and sign autographs right next to me. Absolutely. I don't want him stealing too much of my thunder, but he is welcome to come and do a guest appearance. Yeah, I look forward to meeting you too, Rob. I've heard not a lot about you. And I, you know, I I, I mentioned to you the other day, I think that, you know, I was really happy to see that you have this thing with art. I mean, because that's just so expressive and you know, just says a lot about a person. Rob, did you pay him to pitch your art? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> and it makes me so uncomfortable. But, you know, one of the... I can relate to you, Mark, when you were talking about your passions and something my wife and I have always been passionate about is children as well and helping. So um, something I like to do with my art every year is give back a piece, uh, especially to an organization um, that helps children out. And so this year... I'm donating one to the uh, Crystal Charity Ball here in here in Dallas, and I've I've donated a piece to the Dallas Children's Advocacy Center as well here, and so I can definitely relate to you. And it's 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 fun when you can take you can take something that you're passionate about and, and give back with it. So for our final segment, Mark, what we want to do is we want to um, use this platform for our guests to be able to pitch their passion. So the passion I spoke to you about. Uh, the children and helping children. And um, I think that there are so many children who have or don't have anyone to look up to, anyone to help define their lives. And I think that that's a crime. And I think that helping children be able to help define their lives and uh, give them the tools to learn that there are ways to also help themselves and that there are people there who listen and don't judge them um, is huge. And um, it's something that I, I really hope that more people will get on board and understand that the children are our future. And if there's anything we've learned over this past couple of years is that we need to pay attention to the future and the children are our future. And um, how we do that and how we can express that and, and give back to do that is of a paramount of importance, not just to me, but to my grandchildren and their future, because I want them to have and be able to do the things I did when I was growing up and not be fearful of it or not be judged for it or just be proud of who they are. One I would hope people would look to to support is youth LGBTQ mm-hmm. because there are a lot of youth out there struggling with who they are today in 2021 and being accepted 
And I think that that is a crime. And um, so anything youth-related LGBTQ should be looked at carefully and supported as much as it possibly can be. Mark, thank you so much for not only that last um, that last piece, but also for telling your story. And even though I've heard this story before, I, I still sat riveted and it is just so powerful to hear it every time. And again, we just really thank you for coming on and sharing your journey with us. And, you know, I was very sad to hear that you may be leaving me someday. And, <laughs> but, but when that happens, I will get to sit back and reflect on all the great work we've done so far. Mm -hmm. And of course, we'll still have our friendship at the end of it as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark, for everything. This, is, this has been fun, guys. I really enjoyed this. Taking a walk down memory lane, it just reminds me of what my priorities are. So thank you. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Mostly Legal Podcast. If you like what you heard today, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on themostlylegalpodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you can get weekly recaps as well as some cool takeaways from each episode. Oh,